So we're continuing on in our uh, Lent series on the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And the word that we're looking at today is truly, or in the NIV translation um, I, that Yvette just read for us, I tell you the truth, uh, from, from the phrase, uh, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And so as we, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, we're going to look at it under three different headings this morning. We're going to look at the truth that humbles, the truth that frees us to be honest, and the truth that assures. The truth that humbles, the truth that frees us to be honest, and the truth that assures. And, and you know, as, as, as we think about this, you know, truth, we throw around this word quite often, don't we? Uh, we, we talk about truth and, and what is the truth from, from the, the, the mom who, uh, you know, is, is sternly talking to her sobbing child, you know, just tell me the truth. You know, what happened? I just want one story. Tell me the truth to the sobbing kid who's, who says back, that is the truth. This is what happened to the philosophy pre- professor who uh, says that we can't know the truth that truth is subjective and that everyone finds their own. But I think, you know, when we uh, talk about this word truth, what we mean, or what we say, uh, because it can be a very abstract and elusive thing. Truth is, um, truth is when you boil it down, claiming that you know the way that it is. Uh, truth is the way it works, what is right. And uh, so in the late 20th century, uh, the, the postmodern worldview has brought on uh, this, this idea that uh, we can't actually know the capital T truth, and that all truth is relative, uh, meaning that, that we all discover truth for ourselves, like it's a, a, a flavor of ice cream at Baskin-Robbins, right? I, my favorite is, is Heavenly Hash, but your favorite might, might be different. And so choose the one that works best for you. And that has led people to say the same of religion, that it is a personal conviction, just like my favorite flavor of ice cream is a personal conviction that most of you probably do not share with me, that the truth of religions is also a personal conviction, and, and that uh, faith is not something that we share with our friends or with our neighbors because of this, that, that it's now seen as, as oppressive or, or imposing ourselves on other people. And so I was talking to someone actually this, just this week, uh, who's somebody who's doing campus ministry, and they were saying that, you know, on, one of the things that they used to do on campus ministry a lot was, was called tabling, which is like street evangelism on the, the student campus. And so they'd set up a table and, and they would invite people to have conversation about faith and about Jesus. And, and this, this person was saying that this, this practice, this art of knowing how to talk about your faith is almost completely lost. That students that he's getting now don't, don't want to do this, don't know how to do this, and one of the reasons why he says that it's, that it's so difficult to find people who are willing to do this is because a lot of people see faith as something that is private, 
not something that we share with other people. It's a truth that we believe for ourselves, but it, it doesn't have, doesn't make a difference for the global or the, the, the community as a whole. It's, it's a personal thing. And yet, that's not what we see Jesus talking about here. That's not what we see in the Bible, because we see Jesus making an exclusive truth claim here. Today, truly I say to you, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He is speaking truth into somebody else's experience, somebody else's life. Jesus made truth claims all the time. You know, none greater than, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this leads us as people who are living in the midst of this tension at a time that if we live out this exclusive truth, it can, it can lead us to be seen as, as dangerous to society. It can lead us to be seen as, as you know, um, on the fringes because of, of what we believe. See, because there's a lot of pressure for us to be inclusive. And, and, and the Bible makes exclusive claims. And so we're caught in this, this tension as Christians. And so if you're in school, I imagine that you run into this on a daily basis. You know, there's, there's lots of people uh, who, who don't want you to go around sharing your faith. And this has led maybe to people, you know, boiling Christianity to, down to uh, more simple, I just, I just want to love people. I don't want to convince them that my faith is true or that, that, that Jesus is the way. I just want, want to show love to people. And that's, that's true, but that's not the whole truth. Because we see Jesus, you know, his encounter with, with the rich man who he loves and calls to sell all that he has. It comes with loving, but also a challenge. And so what do we do with this as Christians living today? Where on the one hand, we see Christians being accused of being narrow-minded, of being exclusive and offensive. But then on the other, we, we see the exclusive claims of the Bible and, and have to work this out. And it's messy. And it's hard. And so one person that has really helped me in this area is, is pastor in New York City, Tim Keller, who, who writes a lot about truth and objective truth. And, and he says this, which I think helps us to make sense of how we're living in this tension. He says this, you know, um, many people will, will uh, ask him, if he's, if he's talking to them about Christianity, he's talking to them about Jesus, they'll ask him, you know, what are you doing? And he'll say to them, I'm evangelizing you. And, and they'll say back to him something like, like this, you mean you want me to adopt your view of spiritual reality as true instead of my spiritual reality as true? And, and Tim will say, well, yeah, that's what evangelism is. And then, and then that person, uh, Keller says to the person, well, well what do you mean by, by what you just said about about the sp our spiritual realities. And he said, well, I think you need to keep your religion private. That if it's good for you, that's great, but, but keep it to yourself and don't go around telling people 
they, they have to convert. And Keller says, but don't you see that itself is a truth claim? That itself, by saying that my view of religion or spiritual reality, that everyone should be ex ex exclusive, is better than your view of, of, of true religion, which is that Jesus is the truth. Because we can't help but make these exclusive truth claims. The moment we say, don't make exclusive truth claims, we just made an exclusive truth claim. And so no one is being narrow because everyone is equally narrow. And so what do we do with this? Who is, what does it mean to be narrow? What does it mean to be exclusive? And, and Keller helps us out greatly when he says this. He says, narrowness is disdaining. Narrowness is sneering. Narrowness is belittling people who believe something different than you. What we need in this world is people who have truth, an exclusive truth that humbles them. And what we see in this text is exactly that. We see two criminals and Jesus. One criminal is belittling, sneering, at Jesus, joining in with the, the soldiers and the, the leaders. The other criminal is strangely um, repentant. And then we see Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is hanging on the cross in between them. And, and the one criminal says he doesn't deserve to be there. But why is he there? Well, he's there because he loves us. He's there because we need someone to rescue us. And, and so he humbles himself. He is the truth, and he is humble. He even quiets himself, and he says to, to God, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, this is what the world needs. Truth that leads to humility. Truth that leads to sacrifice instead of truth that leads to judging or truth that leads to arrogance. Right? And this is what makes Christianity different than the other religions in the world. Because uh, in one of the Alpha videos, uh, Nikki Gumbel uh, says that, that Christianity is unique among other religions because most religious leaders will say, don't look at me, look at God. And Nikki says that in Christianity, it's actually the opposite. Jesus says, don't look at God, look at me, because I am God. Imitate me. Be like me. Look at me humbling myself. Look at me sacrificing myself. This is the truth of Christianity. The truth of the gospel that, that will always lead us to be more loving, that will be, always lead us to be more committed to relationships with other people. Always be more committed to the good of the city than other people because of who we are looking to. We're looking to Jesus. And Jesus is the image of of our Savior on the cross, humbling himself for us. The truth leads us to humility. The truth also sets us free to be honest about ourselves. So as Pastor Chris alluded to last week, uh, these, uh, the Roman way of making sure that people stayed in line was putting on display what it looked like for you to be out of line. And uh, so these three people by the, the Roman definition were out of line with society. And so they were paying the price. They were being crucified for it. And we don't know why these two criminals are on the cross, 
But we do know is that the one of them thinks that they're there on an account of an injustice. He says, you know, we're here, we're being punished for what we had done. And, and the Greek word for uh, the, what we had done and be, being punished is, is the word diakonos, which is actually the same word for righteousness. We are being crucified here because of our unrighteousness, our immorality, our injustice. And so we know that both of them had gone against what the standard of living was, and, and actually the one criminal actually thinks that they deserve to be there. And so we see these two criminals on the cross, and the one of them is joining in with the crowds. He's joining in with the, the sneering and the, the jeering and the, the mocking and, and belittling Jesus. Save yourself. Save yourself and us. And one of the translations I read of this text this week actually said that he railed at Jesus just again and again. Save yourself. You know, obviously, to these two men being crucified beside Jesus, uh, stories about Jesus, about who he is and what he can do, have made their way into their ears. Because they, they know that he's capable of saving himself. And they know the claim that he is the Messiah. And so they, the one criminal says, if you really are, show, save yourself and save us. He's like the boxer, the, the fighter who just never gives up. Goes down swinging, right? The, the one who is just taking a beating is being absolutely pummeled. And, and the, the friends around the ring are just saying to him, you know, just give up. Throw in the towel. Admit that you've lost and just, just won't do it. And so he goes down swinging. His pride won't let him. This man on the cross refuses to give up his way of life, and he never admits anything that he has done wrong. He doesn't admit that he deserves to be up on the cross. He goes down swinging. The other criminal, though, is a different story. This one, he, he rebukes the other criminal for what he's saying to Jesus and says to him, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, this criminal is being honest about why he's there. Just imagine this. Imagine being in the crowds, hearing this conversation take place. And there would have been more colorful language directed at these men than just at Jesus. Jesus isn't the only one who's going to be mocked. So this criminal is on the cross. He's being humiliated. And he says what he says to the other criminal. That would have been an incredible thing to say. Imagine the pain that this man is going through. Not only is he being crucified, not only is he being humiliated, but, but he's looking probably back at his life as being, being hours away from death. And he's getting ready to die, and he's admitting, I am receiving what my deeds deserve. It was coming for me. 
Imagine the regret. Imagine the regret that this man is carrying. I wonder if he looks back at his life and thinks, what a waste. Or thinking about his family that he's leaving behind if he has any. Why did I do this to them? Or the humiliation that what, what should have been, what his life should have been like. I wonder if he looks forward ever at the life that he should have lived, at the things he should have said or done, at the mistakes he shouldn't have made and should have learned from. Or about the uncertainty of what lies ahead of him. What is it like to die? What does it mean to die? Where will I go? If you start, start thinking about what this man is going through and the things that he's wrestling with, it's pretty deep. I wonder how many of us find ourselves wondering these same things. I wonder how many of us carry around the weight like this criminal probably did. The weight of bad decisions. The weight of, of the times that we've turned away from God and chosen our own way over his. I wonder how many of us think about the life we should have lived. The things we should have said. The relationships with parents or kids that might have been different. I wonder how many of us live with uncertainty. Fear of what the next chapter in our lives will bring. What will it be like to go into high school? What is it going to be like to go to university? Or to think about a career? Or to have the kids move out of the house? Or to retire? Or to die? What will this bring? Like the criminal, we, we all carry with us things that, that weigh us down. And I, I wonder if, if these things are what led this man to just make one last-ditch effort. Reach out to Jesus and say, Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the midst of all of his uncertainty, uncertainty, just searching for some something to grab onto, something to comfort himself, something, some sort of assurance. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't beg. He doesn't say, put in, put in a good word for me. He knows the time for moral reform is totally behind him. Remember me. I love the honesty that this man brings from start to finish, the honesty that Jesus invites us into. The honesty of our need for someone to remember us too. And Jesus does remember. The truth is that he is our assurance. God remembers us, and that's why Jesus was born. In the uh, the children's storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Uh, she talks about the story of the crucifixion. She says, if you really are the Son of God, you could just climb down off that cross. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have climbed down. 
Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed the little girl, stilled the storm, and fed 5,000 people. But he stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. Remember me. Silence. Because for the first time and the last time, when Jesus spoke, nothing happened. So Jesus got silence when he deserved congratulations. Well done. Jesus got silence when he deserved somebody to remember him. But he was forgotten. He was forgotten so that you and I will never be forgotten. He was forgotten so that you and I can have the assurance of forgiveness. Jesus got silence so that we can have the blessing of a relationship with our Father. Jesus got silence so that we can hear these words. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is true for this man. This is true for us. In a few moments, we are going to eat and drink assurance at the Lord's table. These are signs and seals to us that God has remembered us, that he is remembering, that we, we thirst for him and he nourishes us. He remembers us and is healing us and our world. When we cry out, God, don't you see this brokenness? Don't you see this pain I'm going through? Don't you see my life is not as it should be? God assures us that he is at work in the darkest places in our lives, the darkest places in our world, because in the most hopeless place in the world, on the cross, he was earning for us our salvation. Thanks be to Christ. Would you pray with me?